0: You're listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast brought to you by Nottinghamshire Live. Hello, and welcome to Garibaldi Red, Nottingham Forest podcast on Nottinghamshire Live. My name is Matt Davis. Uh, I'm joined today by Red's legend returning to the show, Gary Birtles. Good morning, Gary. How are you? Good morning. Yeah, good. Thank you. Good, good. And returning to the show as well is BT Sport and uh, BBC Radio 5 Live broadcaster Darren Fletcher. Fletch, good morning. You
1: well? I'm very good. I've only just realised this is the first Fletch and Bertles for 17 years. 17 years? <laughs> I'm glad to put it to Bertels
2: 2004. Oh, you're kidding me.
1: Oh, 2004, the first one for 17 years, so
2: quite nostalgic, really. Uh, it makes you me and you feel a bit old, then. <laughs> well, <laughs> we, both look it, we both look it, so we may as well feel it. Absolutely. I look <laughs> it, but I don't feel
1: it. I'm still 28 in my mind. Yeah, right. I, I look it and feel it, so you're, you're heading out of it. Out it. Yeah.
0: Well, I'm glad to facilitate this reunion so we can talk a bit of Nottingham Forest this Monday morning. Um, the Reds are safe after drawing 1-1 with Stoke City, secured Championship Football for another season. Um, uh, should we start with you, Fletch, in terms of the level of achievement that is for, for Chris Hewton? Is it a big job well done or was it kind of just what you expected? How, how do you view it?
1: Well, when we spoke about this when Chris got the job, I mean, I I always expected him to do well so i think it's a i think it's a job done i don't necessarily know whether it's a job well done or a job badly done i mean it's just a job done and i think it has to be taken into account that the situation he walked into makes it difficult really in the circumstances to do a great deal more than he has with the personnel that he has so you know i think that the first thing you had to do was was make sure they stayed in the championship the second aspect was to take positivity into the close season, that now needs to be followed by impressive recruitment and then it 's a different situation, which Gary will tell you about when you can start a season with confidence. You know he had a, a squad that was pretty flat when he first arrived, and he had to lift them. It took a while to implement what he wanted to do. He wants to play a different brand of football than the previous manager did, so all of this has to happen on the fly. I think the time to judge Chris is when he 's had a, a transfer window. And he's had a pre-season and he's had time to just take a step back and reflect on what he's seen, what's impressed him, what's not impressed him, what he'd like to maintain and what he'd like to change. So I think it was a case of just getting through this season, getting through it with positivity if he could, which he's done. And I think from this point on now, we can start to see Chris be the Nottingham Forest manager, properly heading into the close season. And hopefully, you know, that can lead to a, a strong start to next season, which you need if you're going to do well in the championship. You agree with that, Gary? What Fletcher said there?
2: Absolutely. You know, you, there's nothing really to add to that. I mean, we talk about recruitment, which is the most important part for me. I think he's recruited well since he's come in. You know, you look at Garner and uh, Kravinovich, You know, they, they've, they've been really good. They've changed the way we think and the way we play. And uh, it, it's clearly o- obvious that we need something up front. I mean, I've got. To, I, I, you know, I hate stats, but I've got to read this. I mean, there's only what we've got. It really good at the back. Only Watford, Norwich, Brentford and Swansea have conceded less goals than Nottingham Forest this season. But only Wickham, Derby and Birmingham have scored less. So that just tells you, you know, we've got it right at one end and at the other end, it just drastically needs changing. You look at the top teams, Norwich 69 goals, Watford 61, Brentford 73, Bournemouth 73 and then Barnsley and Swansea lower 56 and 52. Yeah, so, that's what gets you promoted, scoring goals. Being good defensively will never get you promoted alone. You need somebody who's going to get you 20-plus goals a season. We haven't even got anybody in double figures.
1: Mm-hmm. I think in many ways, you know, that's that can be seen as a positive in one regard, that yeah. the area that needs to be strengthened has been identified. But, of course, as Gary will know, it is the most difficult thing to acquire goals. So, th- <laughs> You know, in one way, it's a good thing because the focus can be on putting that right. The difficulty now is going to be getting the right player to do it because you think about some of the teams that Gary's mentioned there. You know, in in Watford's case, they got players dropping down from the Premier League for a season in the championship and they were able to score goals. And they're probably better than the division. You know, you think about an Ishmael Assar. You know, he was on the verge of being sold for 40 million quid in, in in one of the transfer windows. And he's been a constant for Watford this season and helped them score goals. Troy Deeney's got a track record of playing at the top level. So there are players in the division for those top teams who have genuine track records. And Forrest need to now be able to go and find one in that bracket if they want to take the next step. They might just need to spend a little bit more money than they'd like to on that area. Because if they can get that right, the numbers that Gary's just given you tell you that, Half or three quarters of the team is ready, but until they get that final bit sorted, the most important bit, they're going to be off the pace. So it's a massive summer for them in terms of recruitment. Yeah, it's not. It's been
0: noted in the comments already here that every time Gary says I hate a stat, he proceeds <laughs> to deliver a lot
2: of stats. But, but I do <laughs> hate stats. But I have to say, I, I looked at the weekend. You know, because Watford and Norwich had gone up, and you look why teams go up, and it's blatantly mm. obvious that that is the case. I mean, you look at Armstrong at Blackburn, they're not much above Forrest. He's got 23 goals. So, you know, it doesn't always ring true that that will get you, but they're not very good defensively. So, like Fletch said, we've got one one of the most important areas okay. We've got one of the best keepers in the league and the defence looks pretty solid, D- you know, despite the pressure they've been under because Forrest haven't been scoring goals. If you're not scoring goals, that puts pressure on midfield and then it filters back to the back four. So, in that respect, I think the back four have done magnificent this season. And, you know, there are strikers out there. If Reading don't get up, you know, go for the boy at Reading who's, who's got over 20 goals. I think you've got to be bold in your decision making to get the right people in up front and maybe change the system a little bit. You, 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 the system up front hasn't suited the strikers we have. Hence, our top score is it six he's got, to Lewis Graben?
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. So
2: yeah. that's got to change as well. Yeah, so on that, it, it is a very important summer for Chris. Yeah, on that,
1: you know, I, I'd like to think, I, I think that the recruitment has been too scattergun for me, that they've tried to catch lightning in a bottle on too many occasions. So you'll see a player come in, nobody's really heard of, but they've come from a team that's played in Europe. And then you think, well, if this player is what they think he is, then they're going to be ahead of the game. But invariably, from a Forest standpoint, that's not been the case. And you just get a player coming in from overseas who can't adapt to the championship, isn't what you need, and you end up with a load of players, all of a certain standard, a squad that's too big, and you've not got the necessary quality. I think in this regard, when they look to recruit a striker, I think it's essential that they go for a tried and tested, proven player, whoever that might be. Now, that might cost a little bit more but I don't think you can take a chance on a striker. I think you've got to go and sign one that you are, I mean, nothing's guaranteed, but I think you've got to go and sign one that you're pretty confident is going to come in and do exactly what he's supposed to do. If you need a striker to get your 25, you can't take a risk that someone might come into the championship and adapt to it. I think you've got to go and get one that you're pretty confident is going to do it. And then you can build the whole thing around it. And I think with having Chris and his staff in there now, I think you're more likely to get that kind of recruitment than at this stage of last summer. So I'm a lot more confident that they can go and identify a player that can come in, be the right fit for a championship club, the right fit for Forrest, more confident now than I have been before because of the fact that Chris Hewton's going to have a big say in whoever that player is. Yeah, you're right. I mean, one of, the, one of the things you spot
0: on there about Fletch is like when you say not knowing what a player is. I mean, Forrest has signed Guerrero and Cafu, and, uh, and kind of on the premise that one's a number nine and one's uh, a defence midfielder, and they've not really been those players. And I don't think we can't be in that position again, where certainly fans don't know who players are, but it seems like people in the club don't know who they're getting. So, yeah,
2: I think you're right there. Um, I think you can I, go back to, Matt, just if we can interrupt a little bit. If you go back to David Platt, the, he brought the three Italian lads in, who he knew and trusted, but we Fletch mentioned the championship. The championship is a different animal to any other league, as anybody will tell you. And those three Italians, good as they were, couldn't adapt to the the, the championship because it's so fast, it's so frenetic. You know, there are so many games, you have to play League Cups, you have to play FA Cups. And, you know, they didn't work. And we've seen so many of those sort of players since come in and not work. So you have to, you know, horses for courses, as Darren said. And, you know, I think Chris would have been looking... Not just now, before now he 'll be looking his, his staff will be looking they 'll have the targets there 's no point having targets when you finish the season. you have to have them very early in your mind that then it gives you a chance to go after them before anybody else and hopefully that 's what will happen. I'll tell you what yeah. I would
1: say that as well and I, I, it 's a little bit of insight that forest supporters wouldn 't have we 're going to talk about the academy a little bit later during the course of this, and my boy 's in there, so I kind of drop him off. Uh, whatever time it is. Sometimes it can be five o'clock. Sometimes it can be seven o'clock and he's there for a period of time. Every time I drive into that academy, Chris Hewton's car's still there. He's working so hard. He's putting the the hours in and his staff's cars are all parked in the, in the slots. And you tend to see Chris walk out at some stage and drive away. So he's there a, a long, he's putting a lot of hours in at the training ground at the moment. And, I wouldn't be surprised if a lot of that, Gary, is looking at at players for next year and analysing what they want to do. So that the minute he's got the chance to start affecting change within his squad, that he's good to go. So it's a really encouraging thing to see a manager who's still there at seven o'clock at night, more often than not, at the training ground, working hard. Because the players have gone. So he has to be doing other things at that stage because he's got no players to work with. So the hours are going in. And and you would like to think that then he's going to be rewarded by getting the big decisions right when it really matters.
0: Absolutely. The, Sorry, that. I was going to say one of the names in the the comments is Dwight Gale Fletch, and a, another one that springs to mind is Britta Sombolonga. Are you thinking a player like that needs to transform the attacking lineup rather than a, a Pigot or a young a Yates at Blackpool? They've been linked with a young striker. You were not proven then.
1: Well, I, I don't necessarily want proven, but I want goals, and, and I think you can you can go either way if you have got the right one. I mean, Ivan Tony is the prime example who's gone into the Championship this season, and now the next question is, can he play in the Premier League? The question last summer was, is he worth the money in the Championship? Well, clearly he was. Brentford had a look at it, were prepared to, to to spend the money, and he's come in, and he might get them into the Premier League this season, He'll certainly be one of the most important people in that squad to do that. So. You can go both ways. I mean, Dwight Gale, fine. He scored once this season for Newcastle. He came on against Liverpool at the weekend. I commentated on the match. Didn't really get a kick. I mean, I'm not necessarily sure how much Dwight Gale has left in the tank. And there's not really a sample size this season for Newcastle to give you that answer. So I think there's a gamble on both sides. You know, whether Dwight Gale at the age he's at fancies one last big season in the championship, I don't know. Um, certainly he's got a track record of scoring goals in that division before. But I think sometimes you can sign a player on past reputation. You've got to be confident in this one that he's going to come in and be motivated enough and hungry enough to take Forrester where they want to go. Because Gary made the point, you play in a championship, you don't get a rest. So you've got to be prepared to play game after game after game after game and do what you need to do. So it's a difficult, it's a difficult balancing act, whether you take the younger one or whether you take the older one. Forest just have to make sure they get the right one. That's that's the important thing. Mm-hmm. I guess motivation's the
0: big word, isn't it, Gary, there that Fletch touches on?
2: Yeah, motivation, I think you get that in younger players. You know, they can see an opportunity. because let, Let's get it right. Forest are a great club to come to, still. They've got owners who have, have got a lot of money to spend, who are desperate to get them back in the Premier League, and we're just waiting for the right manager to come in and, and spend the money well and... Get us in contention. We were in contention last year and that fell flat. We all, all remember that. And you, you've got another f- feeling of flatness this season. Yes, we've survived. But, you know, you just feel, oh, not another season of that, please. And I think that's what Chris will be looking to change around completely. The whole mentality of the club, the players. I think a lot of players, we've said it before, have got to go from the club. There's a lot of dead wood in there. Um, and just hope they can get rid of the players they want to. Because as we say, they're on good wages, and somewhere mm, if they mm. go somewhere else, they might not get those good wages. That's the problem Nottingham Forest have. But if Chris gets it yeah. right, and I, I'm convinced he can get it right in the summer, then I think we've got a lot to look forward to next season.
0: One of the things that Gary talked about earlier, when it comes to the stats, is goals, and I guess one of the gripes of fans has been the kind of the entertainment levels, which perhaps. Are going to be a bit lower when you're trying to stabilise a club. Do you think, Fletch, there's an emphasis or a duty next season for Forest to open up a bit more and entertain fans, even if it's for the self-preservation of Chris Hughton as much as anything?
1: Yeah, I do, but I think that's kind of tied into the kind of form that you're in. I think if you start the season well and you're winning matches, you play with a lot, a lot more freedom. I mean, let's not forget that this Forest team finished last season terribly, started this season terribly. And then when Chris came in, the question was, could they really get relegated? Now they've they've gone from being in that situation to being safe. But a lot of the time, free-flowing open football comes with confidence. Gary will know that. He played in a lot of games where you're on a bit of a sticky run and the football has to be a lot more functional, a lot more methodical because you just need a result. When you're on a run of wins and you've got a striker scoring goals or a front three that are, are playing with confidence, all of a sudden it opens up. So I think a lot of that is going to be down to the start they make and if they can hit the ground running and start winning football matches, I think the crowd will be entertained. I think if they find themselves in the kind of situation they're in now, then you're going to get the kind of football that we've seen this year where results are way more important than performance. What you'd like to think next season is you can get results and performance if they can improve things at the top end of the pitch. So I think it's going to tie in with the confidence in the group. A confident group will play open football a group that's packing, they've got to make sure they don't make mistakes. Do you agree with that, Gary, in terms, of, in terms
0: of what you've seen this season from Forest, It's not always been the best football, but there's the potential there with a good defensive base to build on now.
2: Yeah, you, when you're in a situation where you're in the bottom half of the table and you can see see the bottom three are still in, in touch, then you have to win football matches any way you possibly can. You can't just say, right, we're going to entertain and then get beat, you know, four three or something like that. Um, it, it's disappointing for me when, as an ex striker when I see the own goals. We, we mentioned that we, were nearly the joint top scorer. I mean, that tells you that something's massively wrong when you know your own goals are a second top scorer at one point. And you look at Derby at the moment. You know, you nobody thought I you know, when Wayne Rooney came in, that they would be in the position they're in. You know, it's a predicament that they didn't envisage. Uh, So nobody's immune from, uh, you know, struggling down at the bottom of the table. And that's why you look up the table in the top six and you see a team called Barnsley, who have got one of the lowest budgets in the championship, who have had a magnificent season. So obviously they're getting something very right. And you look at Luton, the season they've had as well getting something well, you know, very right. I think, you know, I speak to Paul Hart quite regularly and uh, he said he's got a great bunch of lads, you know, great bunch of lads there, great attitude. And I think sometimes the attitude is is more important than the talent Mm. uh, in dressing rooms. If you've got a great set of lads with great attitudes who might not be the greatest players, you've got half a chance because you know you've got strong characters in that dressing room who will go out on the pitch and do everything they possibly can to get you a result. So you know, look at teams like Barnsley, look at teams like Luton, who have done magnificent this season. And you look at Forest, and you think, well, how can they be doing better than us? Maybe because they've got players, I think, with better attitudes.
0: That's a big statement. Do you think? The, do you kind of look at not maybe the attitude of this group of players, Fletch, and think it does need some injection of
1: character? Maybe
0: I don't know. Is that is that fair or not?
1: I, I don't. I don't know them well enough. To, to say that so I, I i i wouldn't i wouldn't know um what well, i would say that luton are a really interesting case that, that gary talked about because luton haven't made a, a great deal of changes to the to the team and it was a team that was playing really well under under nathan jones and then nathan jones leaves and they literally drop through the floor and then he comes back again with pretty much the same bunch and off they go again so it, it, it kind of backs up gary's point that when everything's right you get that from a group of players. And when things aren't quite right, you get that from a group of players. And I think one of Forrest's difficulties this season is that Sabri Lamushi wanted them to sit back, defend, 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 nick a goal on the counter-attack, win 1-0. When you get a manager who comes in and wants to change that, and players need to start running one way instead of the other, and the entire process changes, takes a while to do it. And... I think you've, you, there's been a number of performances this season during that transitional phase where Lamushi went and Chris Euton came in, where players weren't quite sure what they needed to be doing, that they got habits in their mind that took a while to break. And I think that is one of the situations that has held them back a little bit. Kind of tie that into the fact that they've not got a striker worthy sold at the club, it would appear, in terms of one that can score you, Double figures, even. I mean, in the championship, you need one that's going to get you beyond twenty if you want to get promoted. So they're a long way away from that. So if you kind of tie it all together, you get the kind of season Forrest have had. I mean, there's not a there's not a room down there where people go in and sit down and say, you know, let's annoy everybody by playing defensive football. You know, they're, they're trying to do what they can, but it's a process. And I, I said to you when we spoke on this podcast a few months ago, when, when Chris Hughton got the job. Don't judge him yet. This is a. This has to be a long-term process for him. You know, the people in there in, on the recruitment side that have made bad decisions for a number of years need to step back or go and do something else and let a fella with a track record of getting promoted, a track record of building a club, every club he's left behind is, is set for the future. So go and let him do what he does and be part of the process and see it develop. It's not a, a quick fix. It's not a three-month thing. This is a club that's been underperforming for many, many, many years. And they've had one or two spikes along the way, but the rest of it has been pretty much a flat line. So this has to be done properly and it has to be done practically, methodically with a plan. And then that gives them the chance to put it right. But I think six months is is nowhere near enough time to make any kind of analysis. He needs this transfer window, he probably needs the next one, and he might even need the one after that. And what the key point that Gary made earlier, getting players out is going to be the most important thing because there are too many down there, players that he doesn't want, players that he wouldn't have picked, and players who are on good money, they've got to try and get out. And that's more difficult than bringing people in. So there's a lot of work to be done, and I think people just need to, to, to take a step back, see it for what it is, and let it develop um, organically. And if they do that, it'll be done properly. And then there's going to be a foundation. And on, on the foundation, you can start to build. And you go up and up and up, and it gets better. Forest have tried to go from A to B too quickly in the past. And they've got to go to A to B now in the right time, doing the right things. And if they do that with this manager, who has done it before, that's the big key, done it before, and he's still hungry, wants to do it again, let him do that. Let one or two people backstage get out their own way and then Forrest have got a chance to get where they want to be.
2: Yeah, I think there's, there's been too many... They've got too many players who've come from too, too many different managers. You know, Chris has come in there and then there's a long list of players who've been with Lamouche and previous managers Warburton and they've been there quite a while. And it's maybe got a bit stale. I, I wasn't questioning the attitudes of players at Forrest. I'm saying in a dressing room that I know that I played in, I've been very lucky everywhere I played to have a great dressing room with great characters. And if the characters were a little bit, you know, dodgy at times, the others would sort it out. I mean, I finished my career at Grimsby and what a group of players I played with there. A mixture of young players and experienced players, you know, like Steve Sherwood in goal, Paul Futcher, you know, Keith Alexander was there at that particular point. They had a lot of lads that new people wouldn't know but the effort they put in and their love of the game was the, so evident. I It was a great end to my career. You know, I won two uh, consecutive promotions with them. And I know how important good players and good attitudes are in dressing rooms. You know, at, at Notts County, were the same. You know, you had good players, good characters in there. And I was so fortunate in all my, my career to find that. So that's what I'm talking about. You know, getting that attitude right in the dressing room, getting players in there who will do what the manager asked them to do, roll their sleeves up on a regular basis and get them in contention. And I'm sure Chris will have us maybe on the edge of our seats next season because I think the recruitment will be good. People mm. want to play for Chris Uton because of his track record, as Darren said. He gets people out of divisions and that's what we need.
1: I think the thing as well is, I mean, you, you can use Forrest as a case in point. And I know I'm going a, a little while back, But it's not rocket science. When they got relegated back in 1993, the first thing they did that summer was they knew they needed a striker. Nigel Clough left and they got relegated that season because on the pitch, they'd sold Teddy Sheringham to Tottenham and never replaced his goals. So they were going into Premier League matches with Gary Bannister as your centre forward, which was a recipe for disaster. Robert Rosario came in, couldn't get a cow's backside with a banjo. Lovely fella, couldn't score. They got to the end of the season and they identified that Stan Collymore at South End United was the best striker available at that time to get them back. So they spent just short of three million quid to sign him, which at that time was a lot of money, especially for a team who had just been relegated. And there you go. Stan scores the goals. Forrest get promoted. They're back in the top flight. and have a bit of sustained success then under Frank Clark. They're not going to find a cheap forward who's going to score 25 goals. They've got to identify the right one and they've got to be prepared to spend the money to get him, as Brentford were last season with Ivan Toney. So they've got to generate a situation where whoever the best fit to be the striker is, if they're serious about getting promoted, they've got to find a way to sign that player. It's all right saying, well, what about Dwight Gale or what about X, Y? Go and get whoever the right one is, whatever the price is within reason, because they're going to be looking at horses for courses. Go and get the right one because why, why include more risk into a process that brings risk with it anyway? So if you want to be successful, identify your player, pay the transfer fee, then get to the Premier League and see where you are. But this, 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 what, what really winds me up is this constant search for a player that nobody knows about that all of a sudden comes in and he's a superstar. You, you can count the amount of times it happens on one hand. It's very, very rare that it happens. So identify the right one, go and pay the transfer fee, sort out your striker issue and give yourself a chance.
0: Mm, I think Gwendy might be the only one I can think of that springs to mind as someone I've never heard of who's, who's just done the business. Um,
2: but you used to be able to do that years ago. You, but football clubs now are so methodical. They go through every player at every football club and assess that player. And every club are doing exactly the same. So, you know, the competition to buy players like that is more intense than it's ever been. Yeah, Yeah, sometimes you get somebody who you take a chance on and it pays off. You're lucky if that happens. I mean, when a came in, people said, crikey, that's a lot of money for a Sombalonga. But it worked. You know, Antonio, you know, players like that. look what Antonio's doing now in in the Premier League. So it does happen. But you have to be at the top of the list, and be able to afford to pay these players and bring them in and pay the transfer fees. And that that might be the difficult bit. The the thing you've got to convince people who are going to come to the club is that the ambition of Nottingham Forest Football Club is to get in the Premier League as quickly as possible. And they can do that because they've got an owner who's prepared to back the manager to the hilt. And if he does that again with Chris, I'm sure Chris will get the players in to... Put a smile on people's faces, Forest fans, and give us something to look forward to next season. And if he does that, then, you know, who knows? I mean, I, you watch Norwich, the way they play, the mixture of players they've got. A lot of young players in there, a few experienced players, a few players people hadn't heard of before, but the manager's got them gelling together. You know, he got the system right, and it's all about getting that system right as well. Once you've got those players in, you know, they need to adhere to a situation that you want them to. Yes. Um, and it's it is definitely out there. There are players out there if you're prepared to play the money. I mentioned Armstrong at, um, at Blackburn. You know, 23 goals he's got this season. And it, so if teams miss out at the top in the playoffs, they're the teams you, you look at and think, well, would one of their strikers want to come to Nottingham Forest more than stay there? And, you know, that's what you're going to be up against with other teams as well. So yeah. it's an interesting summer ahead and one I'm looking forward to. I
1: think Norwich are an interesting case in point as well, guys, because they had a situation last year where they could have cashed in on quite a few of, of the younger players. And you look at them now, you know, Cantwell's still there, Pookie's still not not a young player, Pookie, but, a, but a, a, a goal scorer. Cantwell's still there, Pookie's still there, Aaron's is still there, Wendy is still there. They took a financial decision, but they weren't going to cash in at this day, which could have backfired, had they stayed in the Championship this season, the value of those players would have dropped significantly. So they took a calculated risk that they were going to do that. So it's not quite the Forest situation, but sometimes you've got to take a little bit of a gamble and say, "Look." I mean, and I know for every for every Stan Collymore there's a, a Ross McCormack. So I know it comes with the caveat of danger. But it's, it's Gary makes a good point. This should be with the history of this club and the ambition of this club. This should be a move that a lot of players in and around the Championship would want to make. And Forrest have to make it like that for them. They've got to become a club where people say, I want to go there because they're going places and I can go with them. And if they can engender that kind of belief, then they'll find this whole transfer process a lot more straightforward.
0: But Fletch, does that team include next season then? Brennan Johnson, Alex Myton, and we hope Joe Worrell. I mean, there's lots of talk of him going. Does, does this team have to have a younger age profile as well to be a bit like a, a Norwich type of team, do you think?
1: Well, I certainly think I've seen enough from Alex Myton this season to suggest he's got a big part to play. Um, and Brennan Johnson could have done absolutely no more than he's done during his loan spell to give his parent club the belief that he can come and make an impact for them next season. Of course, they should look at their own players. You mix in you know, genuine, proven quality with the young ones you've got and you generate a Norwich City situation. You've got to be brave enough to do it. I think Forrest are lucky that they've got two players there who look like they've got a fantastic future and it looks like the time is pretty much now for them to be championship footballers. So, yeah, you'd love to think that there's going to be a role for them to play this season because they've earned it, they deserve it. And the crowd love to see that, don't they? You know, you go down there and you see a couple of lads who come through your own academy, you get excited by it. And they are the kind of players who get you off your seat and get you involved in, in what you're watching. They score goals, they beat players, they're excited on the eye. Yeah, got be, to be a role for players like that in, in Forest future and in Forest present. I, I think they're very fortunate to have those two in and around the squad for the start of next season and they could make big, big impacts.
2: Well, Fletch, I remember when we worked together. We were at the City Ground watching Forest play Manchester United youth. Yeah, can you remember that night? And Darren was. Fletcher was there as well, sitting yes. in the stand. And you introduced yourself to, to Darren Fletcher in the stand at the same time. Yeah. And you saw the potential that was out on the football pitch then, and that excited us on that night just watching what we were watching. I always remember that night, you know, thinking, "Crikey, you know, what a great lot of talent there is out there." Yeah, And it, it's so important to get that academy right. Paul Hart did it. We always mention that, that particular phase in Forest history. And I think that's being taken on board and they've tried to keep that conveyor belt of players coming through the uh, uh, academy. And with the money that the owners invested, that's, that's still a possibility. I think we tend to forget about the money that goes into that academy as well to help players coming through from all age groups so we're very, very fortunate in the fact that we can still see players progressing, maturing and coming through and hopefully staying at the football club.
0: Yeah, I mean, let's talk more about the academy then, because I did a piece at the weekend based on what Craig Armstrong said on this last week about Leicester City have moved on to Forest Patch with their £100 million training grounds. They offer private schooling, Man City offer private schooling, Villa have spent £15 quid expanding their training grounds. So the point is that Forrest have got more and more competition just to, you know, tread water and um, keep this production line going. So, Fletch, like you said, your son's in the, in the system at the moment. Um, as a parent, I mean, I guess you, you know, you, you're fortunate that you, you, know, you don't have the financial worries that some parents do, I guess. But how do you pick where to send your son if he's a promising player? What, what made you think Forrest is, a, is the right place for him?
1: Well, I think it's quite a difficult journey for for kids, and it's a big commitment for kids. My boy's 12. He's been there since he was eight and a half, and he's there Monday, Wednesday, Friday. Um, He's there till nine o'clock on two of those nights, and he plays on a Sunday and sometimes on a Saturday. Now, the academy's 10 minutes from my house, um, and it makes all of that easier. Um, I'm a Nottingham lad. Gary Brazil has as good a, a track record as any academy director in the country of helping these youngsters go on this journey. He's got a real success rate in terms of players developing into footballers. And it, it just, I, it, it was just the right place for him. Um, you know, had anybody else come in and said, well, come and play here? I would have said no, because it's, it's convenient for him It's on his doorstep, it's his own own city, and it's a brilliant academy. So I think people who are concerned about Leicester City kind of nicking into the catchment area, I think if you're a parent who wants to play one academy off against another, you're kind of thinking what's in it for you at that stage. I think you're coming at it from the wrong way. You know, my boy's 12, and all he wants to do, and all I want him to do is go and enjoy his football. So I don't care whether he wins, loses, or draws, or draws. As long as he, he's playing well and he's enjoying it, and he wants to go. That's all that matters. It gets serious as it, it gets older, but you do see parents who go about it the wrong way, and they're trying to get too much out of it at a young age. puts too much pressure on the kids. Probably makes that youngster's journey that much more difficult. You, you're kind of better off just. When we did this, I kind of sat down with my boy. I said, "Where do you want to? Where do you want to go and play? If you, if you could choose, where would you go?" I said, because you've got to go three nights a week and then on Sunday, it's not I'm dropping you off. I'm, I'm going home. So he said, Well, I, I want to go to Forest Dad. So the minute he said that, that was decision made. Anybody could, could have come to me at that point and gone, Well, we'll give you this and we'll do that and we'll do this and we'll promise this. And I would have said, but he said he wants to go there, so leave me alone. It it's it it is what it is. It is what it is. And they're they're absolutely brilliant down there, I can tell you. I mean, he's he's enjoyed every session. He's never come to me once and gone, I don't want to go tonight, Dad, or I didn't enjoy it tonight, Dad. Sometimes he plays better than others. Sometimes he gets in and he's had a better night than others. But they do a a fantastic job down there, and I would recommend it to anybody. And I'm sure that Leicester City, they do a fantastic job as well, and the parents who are there would say the same thing. But I think when it gets competitive at that age, I think we've all got to take a step back and have a long, hard look at ourselves because this is your son playing football as a baby, really. And you've, you've just got to put them into a situation where they're going to enjoy it the most. And that's it. If they're not enjoying it, forget it. So find where they enjoy it, put them there and, and leave them to it.
2: I quite agree. I mean, I can go back to my son, James. Uh, he went down to Forest uh, for, for a trial with Neil, on the same day Neil Webb's lad was down there. And after he came off, I said, what do you think? He said, I didn't enjoy it. Uh, you know, and straight away, I, I just, there was no pressure on him to go and do it. He said, I just, I just didn't enjoy it. So I say, well, you've got to go and do it again. You know, he made that decision and he's, he regrets it now because he was better at that age than I ever was. He was doing things that I could never even think of doing. And he got a really bad injury at school. He had to be air- airlifted to hospital with his knee and that, you know, curtailed any chance he had. But uh, I agree with you. Some parents on that day, me and Webby were stood back by a fence and some of the antics of some of the parents were just in embarrassing. It was, you know, we were just stood there, me and Webby minding our own b- business, watching these parents shouting and screaming at the kids. So you're right, Darren. It, it, it has to be right. It has to be right for the child. And I, I just like what you've said in that respect.
1: I, I, I'm quite lucky in my, in my group. Not only have we got a good bunch of kids in the under-12s, we've got a couple of really committed coaches, but we've got a really good group of parents. And I don't think parents sometimes realise the part they can play. The positivity that they give to their, their kids is helping them in their journey. Any negativity you give them at that age leads to them questioning themselves. And sometimes we'll, we'll get back in the car after a match and Luca will raise something during the game. And then we'll talk about it. If he wants to talk about something else, we'll talk about something else. And the first question I always ask him when he comes back because obviously they're all training behind closed doors and playing behind closed doors at the moment. So we can't actually see them. So no parents are there at the minute. The only question we ask is, did you enjoy it? Yes. Right. What did you do? Well, I got on the ball and I did this trick and I made this pass and I made this tackle. Blah blah. great. What do you want? What do you want to eat when you get home? That's it. That's all you need at that stage, because. It's such a commitment. You think about it, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, Sunday, and you're talking two and three and four hours at a time for a kid of eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. These are are babies. And then they've got to come back and fit homework in and they've got to get up early for school the next day. You know, this has to be something that they can look at and go, I love this. Otherwise, they're not going to want to do it. And you're going to end their dreams by putting them under
2: too much pressure. And they have to have normality with it. Yeah, I think half the problem has been sometimes with academies. Kids aren't allowed to play with the mates anymore. So they get in this bubble and this tunnel where it's just that one vision they've got. They're not allowed to grow up with the mates and enjoy football with the mates at school or on a Saturday. And I think that can be a little bit restricting, you know, mentally for them because it's it's not a normal upbringing, is it? Um, I was lucky. I came in late. Uh, I went for a, I, a trial with Aston Villa when I was 15, a month Months trial and I was turned down thought my chance had gone and I was lucky to get back in at 20 Uh, that doesn't often happen Um, and I never went through that sort of a system so I I don't really know what it's like it was apprentices obviously in my day so I know what apprentices had to do but that that doesn't happen anymore Uh, but it's so important to give the right grounding to kids from an early age and make sure that they've still got the right Morals and you know the right standards coming right the way through, because that will help them as they go through
1: I think the beauty of, of of what Luke has learned in the in the academy system where he is now is the lads in his year, his group tend to be more mature when you speak to the parents, more mature than the other kids at school because they 're being treated in a different way they 've got responsibilities and they know now how to work as a team and my son in particular, I can only talk about my own son's journey, but he's met people from all different circumstances and backgrounds. So by the age of 12 and before he knew how to work with people who were brought up differently to him. So in terms of life skills, he's way further down the line in terms of mixing with people, working with people um, or interacting with people than I was at his age. So there's a lot of good things that come out. And I think, when there's this concern about, oh, Leicester's training grounds move, so now they've got a chance to to cherry-pick some of the kids that might go to Forest, invariably, the kids want to play with their mates. So they all go and play parks football for a, a Sunday team or a Saturday team or whatever it is, and they want to go and play with people they know. So if I'd have said to my son, well, you can go to Forest or Leicester, he would have said, I don't know anybody at Leicester. I, I want to go to Forest because I know people there because they want to go with their friends. So I, I think at that age... If your boy gets an opportunity to go into an academy in that situation, he's probably going to follow his mates. And there's not a great deal you can do about that. And you should just allow that to happen. And I, I don't think you should ever look at it as anything long-term because it might be very short-term and there are no guarantees. And if any parent looks at a situation like this and thinks, could there be, an, it, could there be something in it for me, then that's absolutely... The wrong thing to do because it, it's nothing to do with you as a parent. This is your, this is your son's dream, and, I, and I'm talking about this from a boy's perspective rather than a girl's perspective, only because I'm talking about my own boy's journey. You know, the same situation um, on, on, on both sides here. Mm-hmm. So, does the challenge come,
0: say, if Lucas fifteen and Liverpool or Man City say, actually, we're going to move you up there, we're going to put you in this brilliant school? And we're going to offer you money, which does happen in the game. Is that a challenge for Forest? Maybe not for you, but is that something that Forest needs to be mindful of in the future? And is there anything they could even do about that? Where they yeah. are on the food chain?
1: Probably not. But likewise, you know, Forest and other academies of that size take in players from other places themselves at that stage. You know, players are released from the so-called bigger clubs and filter their way down. And Forest are quite happy to take those players. You know, Forest might approach an academy. A category three academy because they like a player in there it, it, it kind of works that way I mean my own view is that yeah, my son is my son and what will be will be but the biggest part of of Luca's life at the moment is him developing as a young person not as a young footballer so his education is more important than his football his his, his upbringing and his well-being is more important than his football his football at this stage is his hobby albeit he plays it a lot, and whatever situation developed for him as a 14-, 15-, 16-, 17-year-old, everything would be taken into account based on what's best for him, and, yeah. and that's that's the only way I could, I could say it. There's no way that, as a parent, I could be induced to send my son into a situation where I didn't think it was right for him, and I, and I think 98% of parents would give you exactly the same answer. It's a very, very, very small minority who would be swayed and persuaded by anything like that. And if, if you look at it and you think he's a damn good footballer, you know, going to a club like that is perfect for him, then why wouldn't you <clears throat> make that decision if it's right for him? But if it's not, and he's better staying where he is. You've got to be strong enough as a parent to say, no, you know, we, we've got to think about you globally here, not just in terms of that tunnel vision for that.
0: Um, I just want to switch tack completely for another hypothetical question. Um, lots of Forest fans are saying they want them to play the youth team against Sheffield Wednesday to send Derby down next week. I know <laughs> Gary, you don't want Derby to go down. Um, Fletch, where do you stand on that as a Forest fan?
1: Of well, are I'm the not, Forest aren't going to do I, it. But... I'm not bothered. They've got like, what forty odd games to stay up. It doesn't doesn't matter to me. I, I, I have no I have no uh, love for Derby at all. Um, I'm a little bit surprised that there's not been a bit more, um, a bit more uh, investigation into the, the job that Rooney's done because I, I don't really see anything getting better yet. You know, nobody seems to be scrutinising that very much. Um, it wouldn't bother me either way. I just think for the for the competition in general, for the integrity of the competition, Forest have. An obligation to play their best team because you I, what I don't like any stage is integrity of a competition being compromised because I think it should be fair for everybody. Um Derby go down wouldn't bother me at all. Derby stay up, not particularly bothered. I'm more interested in Forest getting into the Premier League and Derby can do what they like, not too fussed, really. You want to stay up though, Gary, for the, for know, the, for
2: the East Midlands games? Yeah, yeah I'm I just fed up of, you know, the East Midlands being behind. You know, we, at, at one time, Derby you know, in, the, in the top league, Forrest were in the top league, you know, Derby would get to semi-finals European competitions under Brian Clough, Forest winning competitions, and Leicester were in the background then. And now it's all changed. You know, it's the West Midlands, you know, Villa in there, Birmingham has slipped down. You know, you just want the East Midlands to be on the map a little bit more than they have been because we have been lagging behind, you know, for quite a while now. And, i uh, them on the map, guys. Forget the rest of them. <laughs> <laughs> you, know, you know what I mean, though. Um, get the, yeah, get the rest of them. You know, Leicester in the FA Cup final, you know, they'll, they'll be ramming that down our throats. Alan Burton, you know, you guarantee, you know, he'll he'll be ramming it down mine and your throat flex without a doubt. Um, yeah, it's just about that banter that you, you get, you know, when the local derbies come up and uh, you, you miss them if you're not there. Forest know what it's like to be in in the, the next division down. You know, it's a horrible place to be. You know, Manchester City, people forget, went down to that level at one particular point. And look where they are now. You know, Manchester well, City,
1: look where they are now, they're in the Super League.
2: <laughs> yeah oh don't get me on that
0: Don't get. Me i'm gonna get you on i want to get you on that actually i mean what have you made of the last week fletch you're in broadcasting you cover champions league football what have you made of the last week in football
1: i well, I, I, I don't think i've ever experienced anything as seismic in football as, the, as this last week i think this is the closest we've, we've ever been to the entire deck of cards falling down um I think a lot of people are trying to claim victory and all that kind of thing. I just think it needs to be a wake-up call in general that the sport clearly needs to be regulated a lot better than it is. It needs, I think, independent an independent body to to not necessarily oversee it, but certainly to steer it, um, because you know it is a situation where we have a lot of foreign ownership now um, in the Premier League, well, right the way through football and. A lot of those owners have bought the, the clubs for business reasons, which is why you get a situation like the Super League being proposed. Because it's a way for them all to earn more money at the behest of a lot of clubs who have been institutions for the game in in, in the United Kingdom for a long, 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 long time before any of us were born, and we can't ever risk that happening. <clears throat> what I would say, though, now it's kind of been squashed. I don't. Think it's the end of it, but I think it should be. I think people need to remain vigilant and make sure it doesn't happen again. I think there probably needs to be a greater uh, line of communication between UEFA and the bigger clubs in Europe to make sure the Champions League format can be agreed upon and both parties so it works for everybody. But I also think, as well, and it's not a popular thing to say this, but I'll say it anyway there's a lot of anger at the moment out there with football fans, but I don't think we can be angry forever. I think there has to be a cut-off point where we forget the anger. And I think people will get angry again because it's going to be really hard to punish the teams properly without affecting other competitions. So if you took points off the teams in the Premier League, you would impact the Premier League. And this is not the Premier League's fault. If you ban clubs from the Champions League, it would impact the Champions League. And it's not the Champions League's fault. So if you start enforcing penalties like that, it's very, very difficult to do. People would then say, well, the only other option is a financial penalty and they've all got that much money, it wouldn't bother them. They probably wouldn't, but you could actually use that money for the good of the game in this country. And I I spoke about this on the radio on Friday. And in an ideal world, I think what they need to look at now is is doing a complete audit of football in this country from kids' football right the way through to the top of the championship. Forget the Premier League because they can look after themselves from the kids football right the way through and you start down there and you look at the facilities that we need, are there enough pitches? Are there enough 4G pitches? Have clubs been affected by the pandemic? And then you go into the amateur clubs, you know, how many of these clubs can't function anymore because of COVID? Then you start to look at the semi-pro clubs, same thing applies. Have you got a ramshackle ground? Is there any way that you can sort that out? No, well, we can help you. What about the, the, the clubs in the in the National League? You've had truncated seasons who so have had everybody on furlough and it's been a big... And then go into the Football League and work out what it's going to cost to put this right. Get a fund. What's it going to cost to, 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 to really sort football out from the ground up in this country? Not to the very top of the pyramid, but nearly. What would it cost?
2: And then I think you present that bill to the six clubs. I'll tell you what, Flex. What's un- what annoys me more than anything is Perez. What he's coming out with at the moment, the Real yeah. Madrid guy, but, but he's they're, they're, with total tosh. He's, he's saying that the, the, it, the, clubs have, the clubs have signed up to it. Yeah, they're and, desperate. They're desperate. And, yeah, they're 800 million in debt. That's why Crazy. he's. But one thing he is saying, he said young pe- young players, or young people aren't interested in the game anymore. Crazy. How derogatory yeah. is that?
1: Crazy. It's wrong. Really it? It's wrong. I mean, he's I have no I, idea. We did Leicester last week and, and there, was a, there was a stat about Leicester scoring the most goals in the last 15 minutes of matches. And I said to Chris Sutton, I said, that statistic wouldn't apply if Perez had his way because the game would have finished by the time they scored all that. Because apparently the game's too long. People can't engage with it because it's too long. I mean, it's, it's 45 minutes and 45 minutes. He's talking absolute nonsense. But I, I think the only way you can turn a negative into a positive is to try and put football right for everybody. So if you were going to hit them with a penalty, Use that money to put it right. So at least you can say, well, look, we couldn't ban them and we couldn't take points of them, but we've, we, but we've managed to put it right for everybody else. And what we're going to do from this point is we're going to remain vigilant and we're going to make sure that this doesn't happen again. You can then start to think about changing your legislation within the game so it makes it impossible for them. But I'd love to think that if we are going to fine anybody, that we fine them enough so that everybody benefits, so that we've not got to worry about clubs going out of business, so that I know that my grandkids, when they're old enough, can go and play on a nice grass pitch or a 4G pitch, and there are going to be enough local football teams still running that they can go and have their pick and go and enjoy a game that's been really good to me and really good to you and really good to so many people. And I, I, I think we've got to find a way to not just be angry, because we are angry. But we've got to find a way to turn this negative into a positive. So but you have to, to get, place. Place. you
2: have to get football people to do it. People within yeah. football who know the game of football, complete, not all yeah. people in from outside. You know, complete who know the game. Awesome. Yes. Complete audit
1: from top to bottom, and then present it all and say, right, what are we going to do with this now? How, how do we solve this? How much do we need? And if you go and hit the clubs with a a fifty million fine each or hundred million fine each, and you've got your pot of cash, and you go and use it properly. We can look back on this period and say, poor, this could have been the worst thing that ever happened to the game. But because the supporters spoke out and stopped it and the passion in our country meant that it couldn't happen, which is brilliant, by the way. And I said the other night, they picked the wrong time, haven't they? After a pandemic where we've all pulled together like we have, we were ready for this. We're quite quite good at this now. We're not fractured anymore. We're quite together. So they picked the wrong time and they picked the wrong people. They picked the football fan. And we care and we're passionate and it bothers us and we're not going to take it. So they picked the wrong group. But Perez might not realise we were like this over here, but he does now. But I think from that, if you can say, look, this was the worst thing that would have happened, but we've actually turned it into one of the biggest positives that every level of football in this country has seen for a long, long time, then at least you come out of it with something where you can say, all right, I can move on because all this happened. So... Otherwise, I think we're going to be angry forever because it's it's a disgrace. Absolutely. I think a few
0: things struck me about it. I mean, one of them was the centralisation of power, but not amongst clubs, amongst people, amongst this small group of people who own these clubs and the very top executives, that they have the arrogance to do it and the greed, obviously, but also the incompetence as well. I mean, the way they launched it was so... I mean, they're all about branding content, and there wasn't anything behind it. And I think we're quite lucky there wasn't because it fell apart so quickly. The thing
2: is, their their television rights are nowhere near as good as our television rights in this country. You know, the money's not the same over there. And that's the problem. They're having to borrow money from banks. They're all uh, beholden to the banks for loads and loads of money in Spain, in Italy. And it's a total, total different animal. And that's why they wanted this league to go ahead without a doubt.
0: Mm-hmm. I'm going to change the conversation because we've got a couple of minutes left. And I just want to finish by talking about a charity game for uh, in honour of Gary's wife, the Treetops Hospice. Uh, we talked about Gary's wife's situation before, but we'll. Um, I'm just going to put the post up for the game so people watching can see, and I'll read out the details people listening. Fletch, I've completely obscured your face there. Sorry. One yeah. the best um, so far
1: today,
0: they will be the live I'm going to leave out the rest of the episode. Um So it's on the 27th of June, uh, kickoff 3pm, and it's at Baseford United. Samantha Burtle's trophy, the Gary Burtle superstars versus the Harewood and Turner Legends. You can see Nigel Clough on the poster, Kevin Keegan, and uh, loads of other people going to be involved. Tickets £10, £7 concessions, and you can get them at the um, www.bufcclubshop.com. Gary, um, why don't you tell us a bit more about the game and um, why people should get involved?
2: Uh, well, it's, it, like you say, it's, uh, a lot of people have come together um, to put this game forward. Baseford United have been brilliant. You know, Steve Chettle, manager there. He used to be my apprentice. used to clean my boots. And, um, you know, it's all for treetops. And it, it just came out of a walk that uh, Samantha's workmate, Sally, did. And... Friends have now, you know, got together on the committee. uh, They have a meeting every Monday there and it's just snowballing. Martin O'Neill's now agreed to be the other manager. You know, Nigel's still coming, um, you know, to be um, with him as well. So there are so many people coming. A lot of the uh, European lads are coming. Um, But the list that I've been given by, you know, everybody involved, it's it's just incredible the amount of people who want to come and play. Gary Mills has has said he's going to play. Uh, Tony Woodcock wants to play. He wants me and him to play together. I said, you've got no chance of that, Tony. Go ahead, you play. I'm sitting there with a glass of wine watching you. Um, But, yeah, the people, everybody, I, I can't thank everybody enough, friends, family it's just incredible, the, the love out there. And uh, it's about the football, you know, the footballing family. It spreads far and wide, not just at the top. It does go to grassroots. I started at grassroots at Longingham United. And, um, yeah, I just hope that the um, conditions now change a little bit where more people are allowed to come. I think uh, the capacity is 3,000 there. Um, and that might open up a few more uh, tickets for people as the the uh, next couple of months go on but yeah they're on sale at the moment it's going to be a, you know a cracking day there's going to be a walk in football uh, before the the main event apparently it's just you know staggering that uh, you know people are, are doing this and uh, you know Samantha's absolutely she's not a football lover but in fact she'll tell you she hates the game of football never liked it never liked uh, publicity or uh, fame or anything like that but you know because of what's happening to her uh, she wants it out there that people should keep knocking on doors if you've got symptoms of any any sort you know don't back off you know try and find out what is wrong with you and uh, you know that's the main theme of everything and treetops do a brilliant job it's all free they need um, 4.3 million a year uh, eight thousand three. I think 8,300 a day um, you know, to keep going. The government funds some of it, but they have to get their rest themselves. And it uh, it supplies four different um, hospices. It's so important, you know, for bereavement and, uh, you know, life-limiting illnesses. It's, it's just staggering. And, um, yeah, we're so thankful that it's going ahead.
0: You've already given a generous donation, Fletch, but the best donation would be surely getting on the
2: pitch. Are you going
0: to you you know, get
1: involved? I'm, I'm sure I'm penciled in for 10 minutes at right back. I, I'm just a bit disappointed <laughs> that... <in> the- <laughs> Surely Woodcock and Bertles could do the walking football if Gaz before Gaz gets on the walk. We
2: could at least do that, can you? I'll tell you what, no now they know he's playing, nobody will want to play because he is one of the dirtiest fullbacks you'll ever see in football. Yeah. <laughs> he just wants to cut you in half. So I'm gonna am gonna do ten minutes and I think I'm speaking to
1: everybody, aren't I? After I think I'm gonna I'm gonna interview everybody, all the all the, the players that come, we're gonna have a chat with them after and all that kind of thing, to give people a bit more than just the game on the day. So it's going to be a fantastic day in general. Um Well,
2: well Sky, are, Sky are coming to cover it as well. So, that, yeah. you know, that's fantastic as well for us. Uh, you know, they said they want to come along and, you know, it, it's just staggering that, uh, you know, it, it's all happening like that.
1: Yeah, it's going to be a tremendous day. It'll be, it'll be a, an emotional day for Gary and an emotional day for all of us. But what an opportunity to... To do something at the end of what's been a difficult year for everybody and, and actually put some smiles on some people's faces at the same time. It's going to be a, a wonderful day. I can't wait. I'm really excited. And as you say, my phone never stops. Steve Chettle's on it all the time. I don't think he <laughs> work harder than Chet is doing at the moment. He's, he's completely committed. And every time my phone buzzes, on, it must be Chettle again. And it invariably is. Can you just, can you just, everything he says, can you just? The answer tends to be yes when you ask the question on, on the back of that. So. It's yeah. There's a massive outpour. It's going to be a it's going to be a tremendous tremendous day for a wonderful cause.
0: Well, that's the perfect note to end on. Hope people do get along and show their support, and then you can hear Fletch interview people after the game as well.
1: Um Thanks to everyone who was watched... A bit more enthusiastic than that, there. <laughs> who me? Yeah, you'd be I'm better. Just... Off, you'd be better off watching the ten minutes at right back because you'll never see right back played like that again. Viv Anderson. Again. <laughs>
0: There you go. Get your tickets. Just ignore the first 80 minutes of the match. Turn
1: up for the last 10 minutes and watch behind you you know, with the through blinkered eyes. You know what, the last time I ended up doing this, remember the game we put on, guys, when Notts County was struggling and we put a match on then, didn't we? Forest against Notts at Meadow Lane. And we had to delay the kickoff because so many people came. And I ended up playing left-back that day, marking Dave Regis. And oh I'm word. still traumatised by the experience. I said to Dave that day, listen, there's a full stand there I said, "You cannot make me look stupid." He said, "I've got news for you. I've got to, otherwise, my reputation's in <laughs> There was so, no compassion from Dave Regis at all, who well, I loved to death. But he, he said, "I can't today. I can't help you," and he didn't. So, so who's, who's the worst left back? Darren Fletcher or Gary Birtles? Because you oh, played that. Gaz, Gaz, Gaz is twenty years older than me, and he's still, he still <laughs> can't play, but he's still better than I am. I'm not
0: sure about that. No <laughs> oh idea. Right, we will leave, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much to everyone who watched along and dropped uh, comments in. Uh, do give us a good review on iTunes and subscribe and on YouTube as well. Uh, thanks very much to you both. It was a really interesting conversation with lots to go out and I do appreciate it. So thanks, Gaz, and thanks, Fletcher. Pleasure. And we shall see everyone next week. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to Garibaldi Red, a Nottingham Forest podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, then please let us know. We love hearing your feedback. We'll be back soon with another episode. Thanks for listening.